This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Scoop. And we're live, everybody, after a huge win. It's the Forever Mighty post game show. Unless you're part of Tankathon, this wasn't really a great day for you. But it's Patrick and Eddie back on the show tonight as the Ducks take down the Edmonton Oilers. 5-1, to one, pretty handily, pretty easy for the Ducks tonight. Unlike a very, very horrible game last night. Tonight was all Anaheim. I mean, the Ducks just converted. Ricard Raquel with a natural hat trick. Um, just killing it first time since Kyle Palmieri. Eddie, if this was January, even early February... I'm so like, happy. I'm super stoked. But uh, too little, too late, guys. <laughs> yeah, too little, too late for Ricard Raquel, too, unfortunately. Uh, again, we talked about this yesterday. It's funny because we we talked about how is he back? You know, he kind of looks like he's back. He's been scoring goals, didn't score against Calgary. And he's like, yeah, I'm back. He's like, I'm going to score a natural hat trick today. And uh, he easily looked like the Ducks' best forward out on the ice. And, you know, it would have been nice for him to do this earlier. Uh, but the, the fact that, you know, he could still hit 20 goals this year. He's at 41 points in, I think, 66 games. That's you know, that's a down year, but that's still a pretty solid year production-wise. You know, it's a down year for him because you're used to him getting 30 goals and 50 or 60 points. But, it's but look awful. at his contract. Like, what are you upset about at this yeah, point? Like, yeah, he's so, got, yeah. like, the easiest contract uh, <laughs> for a GM ever to be okay with a 20-goal season. He's having a down year, but he's still outperforming the contract that he has. Right, even if he doesn't hit 20 goals, if, even if he finishes the year what what he's at right now with 18 and 41 points for a guy making under four million dollars, that's still a pretty good deal, right? Oh, yeah. like, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, and and it's not like he did it over 82 games; he did it over 66 games, so he's still on pace for about 50, 55 points either way. And despite in a down year, that's not too bad. You know, he's not putting up the goals, but points are still coming. Yeah, when you're making 3.7 million dollars and you're putting up 20, 30 goals a season. Nothing to be mad about if you're if you're a GM in this in today's NHL. Like Ricard Raquel is so dynamic; it's the most team friendly deal that anybody could ask for. And I, I'm starting to think, Eddie, that um, the whole shtick where like Canadians are the nicest people. I think it's Swedish people. I really <laughs> feel like it's Swedish people, the nicest people on the planet. Honestly, it, it's. I would assume it's close. <laughs> I mean, I. I you know, I don't think I've ever heard Hampus Lindholm, Ricard Raquel, Jakob Silverberg say a bad thing in their life. Uh, at least on camera. So uh, I, I would argue well, that that's... Well, you haven't cool. followed him in a cab, have you? 
so we don't know the truth no. behind yeah, it. No, yeah, we have else. no idea. I mean, who knows? <laughs> you thought Matt Duchesne might have been the nicest guy in the world. Yeah, he still might be, but if you're in the tire fire in Ottawa, what, I mean, what are you supposed well, to do? He did uh, pick up buddy his buddy uh, Ryan Dezingle on a private jet to bring him out to Columbus with him. So that's a that's a pretty yeah. Nice when guy. you get PJ'd out of Ottawa, that's a good day. That's a good day. That does not sound right. Like using <laughs> it in that way when you get PJ'd out of private Ottawa. jet. That's what. That's what, that's what, that's what uh, come on. It, like I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be used. That's how I use it, and uh, I think that's what Paul Bissonnette says too. So I, I would go with the four minute HLR on this one. Yeah, well, I'm I'm sure coming out of uh, Paul Bissonnette's mouth, he has a couple different meanings for PJ. <laughs> Either way, um, Canadians aren't as good as uh, Swedish people, and if you're watching the point race in the NHL, they're not as good as Russians anymore. So times are changing, everybody. And uh, tonight for the Ducks, Ricard Raquel in a big way um, just had a great game, just a really great game, and Connor McDavid did not. And you know who else had a great game tonight? Hamish Lindholm. My boy. My boy had a I see, great game. I thought, I thought you were going to come game. out and say, you know who else didn't ha- didn't have a good game? And I thought you were going to say Leon oh, yeah, I Oh, no. Well, I was going to get you later. Like, do you know who hit 51 goals this season? He's Russian. We, listen, we weren't going to dispute that Ovi was going to hit 50. <laughs> On yesterday's podcast, I said there's a chance that Drysaddle could hit 50 before Ovechkin. Before it was impossible, there was a chance if Ovi didn't score tonight that Drysaddle, because of what he's done to the Ducks, could have gotten a hat trick in this game. Yeah, I didn't say it was. I didn't think. I didn't say it was going to happen. I said it could happen. Then obviously Ovi scored two goals tonight. He's at fifty-one. Eight seasons with fifty goals for Ovechkin. He's a monster. Uh, but I'm not counting him out. Drysaddle can still hit fifty. I think he's the only other guy in the league right now who has a chance of hitting fifty realistically. And I'm still sticking by my bet. I'm still sticking by it. I, st- I think Drysaddle will get to fifty. By the end of the year, the, and what was the, the bet? Chemistry... What do I have to do if Drysaddle? I don't 50? remember. It, it was All on right. the. It was on the. You know, we can't even ask anybody because it was on the uh, the Patreon show. We'll have to go back and <laughs> listen to it. So that that Patreon show that's also banned in Canada and Germany, and apparently some some parts some parts of the U.S. because uh, Tom couldn't listen to the show. And if Tom's listening to it now or listening to this the next day, I will get that show out to you. I just I haven't been able to uh, get it downloaded and sent out yet, but I will send it to you, Tom. Don't worry. Yes, it needs to go to him. And um, let's get started. Let's let's figure out what's going on tonight because tonight was a big game for the Ducks. Corey Perry scored tonight. Um, he's still not very good, but he was able to cash in on a very Ooh. Corey Perry like goal. I know he's your boy. That's why I had to poke fun. I know you love. I know you love yourselves with Corey Perry. But uh, Gibby's in net tonight, which is a good thing to see Gibby back in net. Uh, Chase DeLeo and Sam Carrick called up, which is not good news, and not for the Ducks, but for the San Diego Goals. They just lost yeah. tonight to the Stockton Heat, 2-1. to one. The nobody. Goals have yet to clinch a playoff berth, um, so holy hell they need to because I want to go to a playoff game this year in the la- in the later month of our latter part of April, so I'm looking forward to that if they can make it. But they blew the, they blew the game tonight with 13 seconds to go. The Stockton Heat able to get that win. Maybe helpful if they had uh, a few players down there, you know, by the names of Steele, <laughs> Terry, and Jones. I don't know. I don't or know why Bobby's Leo, holding them up here. Or Carrick, or Larson, or Donchin, who just got called up. The uh, Sherwood. Oh There's, Jesus, uh, Jake Donchin. The, the, the list goes on for uh, San Diego, and uh, you know, before we get into the game, uh, there was obviously a couple things that went on. Like like we said, the Leo Carrick called up, Terry out, Magnus scratched. Daniel Sprong scratched again. Jesus for some Christ. Reason. Goes Why? A couple of games, goes 
Uh, but the, the most interesting thing about this game was uh, Dodson was supposed to draw into the game. Uh, he was supposed to play tonight with Cam Fowler and Larson was with Lindholm and Walensky was with Holzer. And uh, the Ducks play a few minutes into the game. Then there's a stoppage in play. People are trying to figure out what's going on. And Dodson is forced to leave the game. Turns out he mm. wasn't listed on the game sheet as being a, a player that was eligible to play. He was listed as a scratch. So, so nobody changed the game sheet from last game because Troy Terry was listed as being on the roster for that game. They forgot to switch it around and scratch Terry and put Dodgson in. Somehow they also, they, you know, they, they included Carrick and Delia was being on the roster, but they didn't include Dodgson. So that was a mistake. So early mm. on, the Ducks go down a man against one of the best teams in the league or in, in terms of we look at talent on that, that, that top line with Settle and McDavid, you now have five defensemen who have to go against him. And obviously, Dodson's not the worst guy to lose, but this is when you get a guy behind the bench, if, if this was Murray's mistake, who has, isn't really familiar with a lot of these things. But this isn't just on him, but it's just comical. Yeah, but I mean, really, I know that it's, like you said, it's only Jake Dodson, but... At the same time, you're playing against uh, two 100-point guys in the NHL. I mean, one guy's like a farce 100-point guy because, I mean, without riding on Connor McDavid's back across the ocean, there's no way he could swim across. Um, so you're playing against those two guys, plus the people on the Oilers who've had good years in the top six. And then you also you're going to start the game with five defensemen, essentially, which isn't good. But, uh, I mean, it's a good thing that, uh, that our boy Hampus Lindholm wore a cape tonight because he shut down McDavid easily. Yeah, yeah, he, he did. The Hampus Lindholm, it was nice to see him have a rebound game. He didn't have the strongest game against Calgary. And no. uh, I, th- Ooh, I think, honestly, did. you know, Ricard Raquel gets the hat trick, but you know, Hampus Lindholm, you know, is up there and being the best player for the Ducks tonight because he was all over the place. He had two assists, just generating offense the entire time he was out there. The last time I checked, he had 15 scoring chances, four while he was on the ice, which was by far the most for the Ducks. I'm going to double-check that in a second to see where he got to. But he had when I when I checked before, uh, he had 15-4 and 5 against, uh, and he was just killing it in shot attempt department. And, you know, that's that's typical from Hampus Lindholm. And uh, looking at it now, he finished with 18 scoring chances for while he was on the ice, 5-on-5, five five, which was most for the Ducks. Jakob Larson was second, and he played with Hampus Lindholm. He didn't even 11. hit 20 minutes. Andy Walensky led everybody in ice time 5-on-5. Five five. Yeah, Andy Walensky and Cam Fowler pairing was the one that led, <laughs> led the Ducks in ice time. But, yeah, I mean, I mean even you know, high danger chances for, uh, it was in favor of Hampus Lindholm on the ice for three goals, ag- uh, goals for, one goal against, and then even in shot attempts, he was at a 55 0.77%, which was tops in defenseman only, or sorry, second in defenseman trailing uh, all-star Corbinian Holzer, who did play more minutes 5-on-5 five five than <laughs> Hampus Lindholm as well. Corbinian Holzer played 19.49 5 5-on-5, five and Hampus Lindholm played 18.34, and to his credit, Corbinian Holzer also had a great game. He was uh-huh. on the ice for four goals for, for the Ducks, and in the 618 in uh, shot attempts for so really good game from him which you don't expect and he ended up getting an, an, an assist and, and that led to Ricard Raquel's second goal of the game so despite going down a defense maybe this is the strategy for the Ducks right like this is this is what you're supposed to do your mic's on mute I was gonna say the funniest thing for me from natural statric was uh the Oilers using 10 different forward lines five on five <laughs> 
<laughs> they show really. They're going to show the stats for that, and it's it's yeah. literally ten different forward lines for them. Okay. Um, just been a br- yeah. There's ten. Go look at their forward group. It's it's. Uh, oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, uh, only eight of them played over a minute of ice time or over two minutes of ice time. So they were actually legitimate lines at five on five. You know, obviously the the only one that was a mainstay was the top line, Drysaddle. Cassian and, and uh, McDavid played 14 oh, minutes. Oh God! 14 Ooh, minutes wait, Cassian was a mainstay on that top line. <sighs> well, I mean, in, in in that line playing considerably yeah. more minutes. I mean, you look at the fact that the, those three guys played <sighs> 14 minutes five on five. The next closest line to God. that was the Oilers' uh, second second line of Nugent Hopkins, Sam Gagne, and Joseph Gambardella. So. We, we talked about this team when we were prefacing this game last podcast, how it's two guys, then Nugent Hopkins, and then just a giant pile of shit right after that. Imagine like, being Connor McDavid, and we're like, hey, we know we paid Dreisaitl to be on his own line because we, we were going to get you some help on the wings. Uh, remember when we signed Lucic to that giant deal, and he was going to protect you and be able to put pucks to the net because he was going to just drive to the net with a stick on the ice? Well... Connor, it turns out he can't skate with you, and uh, nobody else can other than Dreisaitl, and we only have one Dreisaitl, so your wing's going to be this guy who just chucks knuckles all day. I don't know what we're going to do with him, but he's just, we got to fill the role, man. I'm sorry. Imagine listen, that conversation. Listen to, listen to the <laughs> list of Oilers forwards after McDavid, Dreisaitl, so bad. and Nugent Hopkins. Oh, so so this, is, this is the forward depth that they have after those top three guys. You could, you could argue are first-line players. I think you you know Nugent Hopkins is maybe a, a Ooh, second. He's a second-line. He's a second-line he's player. A very good mm. second-line player. Yeah. 65 points this year. But this is the guys after that. You've got Colby Cave, Joseph Gambardella, Kyle Brodziak, Sam Gagne, uh, Jujar Kyra, Milan Lucic, Alex Chason, Tobias Reid, a reader, and Zach Cassian. Yeah, your nine forwards after your top three guys. Oh, None of those guys, man. I think, you could argue are top six players. Most of them, I would say, are borderline NHLers or fourth line guys. You know, maybe you could say uh, Alex Chason, the way he's been playing this year at times. He's and, had a good uh, year for Alex Chason. Right? Yeah, and Sam Gagne, you could say maybe is a is a uh, third line player, uh, but none of those guys are second line guys. Uh, I mean, like this is essentially why you have to have Drysaddle on that top line, so you just have any semblance of offense. Because if you go one two down the middle with McDavid and Drysaddle, who who's playing? Like who are you playing with them? You have no wingers. You literally have no wingers. You have three centers on this team, so you had to convert Drysaddle to a winger and play Nugent Hopkins at second line center. It, it, it's just hilarious because you know what this team could really use right now? Taylor Hall. That's, that's exactly who they could use right now is a guy to play with McDavid so Drysaddle can play either wing with Nugent Hopkins or at least second line center. Like imagine, you know, it's easy to say, but imagine how much better this team is with McDavid being able to play with Hall and even you can still throw Zach Cassian up on that top line if you want and then being able to play Drysaddle with Nugent Hopkins. Like how much better is that team? in scoring depth wise where they can roll two lines that can be effective like i would assume most of nugent hopkins points this year are probably not at five on five um imagine being the edmonton oilers and winning the lottery several times and still screwing up your team year after year imagine that and then imagine being an edmonton oilers fan and imagine buying season tickets and jerseys and all that just to watch your team circle the shitter year after year 
That's but credit it's a to horrible them. existence. Credit to them though; they still sell out that barn. Like well, they. What they else still, is there to do in Edmonton? Like, I yeah, I know, I get it, but they still show up, right? Like that, I still give credit to their fans. I don't like their fans, but you know they're still showing up after all the crap that they've been through. But let's. Let's get, the game. Let's, let's get to the game. Let's get into the game. We, we did we this last night too. <laughs> yeah, we already mentioned the crap that went on in the beginning of the game with Dodson. So the Ducks yeah. went down to five defensemen, twelve. Jesus, boards. Bobby, what a tank! <laughs> and uh, this this first period flew by. Uh, for most of this, I think there was maybe five or six stoppages in this entire period. It was a quick and, one. Uh, I looked up before the Perry goal, and all of a sudden, there's six minutes left in this game out of nowhere. Like this, it, it flew by. It's one of the fastest periods I've seen all season. Uh, but then they get the first goal of the game, and th- this is going to be a trend for the Oilers tonight. They did not get good goaltending, and uh, Corey Perry just kind of walks in on the slot. Uh, he's, he's got a decent open shot. He gets uh, charged up by, I believe, Russell, but he just kind of fires a harmless shot glove side, just squeaks by Koskinen. You know, he just doesn't really keep his eye on the puck, and it hits off his glove, bounces behind him, and goes in. It's great for Corey Perry. It's nice to see him get on the sure. board, but this one is clearly on Miko Koskinen. He wasn't ready for this shot. I understand there's a bit of a screen, but he just whiffs on it and ends up bouncing behind him. Uh, he's just asleep at the wheel. I mean, this is something you, this is a routine save. It should have been a routine save for him. It was nothing of the, I, I didn't see any danger from Corey Perry. Um, I just felt like Koskinen just misplayed the puck and that was going to be Oilers night tonight. Right. It just, sometimes the first goal of the game is really indicative as to how the rest is going to go. Cause he gets a piece of it. And then it's like, oh, I didn't get the whole thing. Yeah. Crap. And it goes behind him. We've seen that. It happens. It just happens. Goalies have bad games. Um, and what a contract Costin's got, right? <laughs> yeah. Just re-signed to that contract. <laughs> to be fair, like, he was having a good year, but they jumped the gun to sign him to yeah. a deal. And, uh, yeah, that's not looking too good right now. It's not a, but it's not a horrible shot by Perry. He gets him in that crook of the arm area. But, it's a quick shot, too. Yeah, it's a quick it's, release. It's, it was one of the few goodies from Perry, but I still feel like Hoskinen wants that one back. Oh, yeah. It was a quick release through, uh, not through the legs, but kind of using the defenseman as a screen. So it's a deceptive shot for Perry. But, yeah, that, you know, Koskinen definitely would want to get a, a more of a piece of that and, and ends up squeaking behind him. That's that's definitely one of many that he ends up regretting on this night. Uh, but the only chance the Oilers would really get in this period is uh, – I, don't, I was about to say my boy Leon Drysaddle, uh, but he's only he's only my boy Leon Drysaddle because I have a bet that is on his shoulders right now. But he gets a breakaway, and he ends up beating John Gibson. But he ends up hitting the post. Yeah, and uh, that's all he gave. Really yeah, yeah, that's all he gave him. That's the closest the Oilers would come in that first period. The Ducks would outshoot them ten to eight. And, uh, you know, you look at 10 to 8, you think, oh, there's a fair amount of chances in this period. Not really. Uh, the, the only chances really were Corey Perry's goal and Drysdale hitting the post. Other than that, there was a couple, you know, minor chances here and there. But nothing significant other than those two. It was relatively a boring period, mostly. I mean, it, there was nothing of the high danger variety other than the place you just talked about. The, the first period was kind of a dead, a dead period, but the Ducks get out, get out of it with a lead. No, exactly. And... You went to the second, and uh, that's where things change. And normally for the Ducks, you know, this is cliche now, but the second period has not been a fun time for them. Uh, but it was a fun time for Ricard Raquel. Because it was the Ricky Raquel show. That's what it turned into. And uh, he has been on fire over the last five games. Oh, yeah. I believe he's up to uh, seven goals over his last five games with the hat trick. 13 and, points uh, in his last 15. He's He's killing it right now. 
this first one is what we've been seeing of Ricard Raquel lately. A lot of his goals have been of the, the snipe variety where he's been getting it in this left circle and just wiring it top corner. It doesn't matter who's in net. I mean, this is, I think I've seen him score over the last five games, probably three or four, like just like this first goal. Oh, yeah. Where Silverberg makes a great play to uh, catch the puck out of midair, keep it in play, and feeds Ricard Raquel at the left circle. He just takes it probably on a stick for about two seconds and just fires it top corner over Koskin at short side. This is the Ricardo Raquel we're used to seeing where he can make this type of shot on a quick release. And and it's so nice to see him back doing that. And this is a, if you want to call it a, a patented goal by him because he, he's, we're used to him being able to do this on a nightly basis. Yeah. He's known to have that shot and it was, it's much different looking at his second goal of the game compared to the first one like he's he's just able to be anywhere on the ice uh, honestly Ed, he's he's a lot like jacob silverberg offensively yeah. not he's not the same defensive aspect of his game like jacob but offensively the guy can burn you in front of the net like we've seen silverberg do and he can burn you from the circles he's just got a really accurate shot and he's deceptive he's got a quick release plus he can dangle you too he has all the offensive tools it's just he hasn't been able to put them together until unfortunately the last 15 games of the season where he has 13 points. Um, and tonight was just a hell of a game from him, really. I, I don't mind these guys playing together <laughs> in the future. Like I don't know if they're going to play with, with Ryan Getzlaff, but Sam Steele seemed comfortable between them. But I feel like they complement each other really well because, like you said, you know, Silverberg's got the defensive aspect to his game. They're very similar in, in the fact that they both have good shots, and offensively they know what's going on in their own in the offensive zone. And then, you know, Raquel makes up for the defensive. He's not bad defensively, but he makes up for the difference between him and Silverberg by being the more creative player and being able to create things on his own. And, you know, I think they've, they've when we've seen them together, they've complimented each other and they've played really well. And obviously that was the case in here because two of the three goals Raquel got were assisted by Jakob Silverberg. And, you know, this play on the first one for Silverberg to keep that in, to jump up, grab it out of midair, put it back down, and then quickly make the pass over to Ricardo Raquel. That's an underrated play. No, you know, for it, sure is. We're talking about the shot on this one for sure. But uh, definitely a lot of this was on Silverberg. And he actually comes close to scoring as well, where uh, he ends up stealing the puck, which is typical for him. You know, that, that's usually how he's going to go. He breaks in, and he just blasts a shot uh, at Koskinen. And Koskinen gets just enough where it drops down in front of him. He sweeps it down behind the net. But uh, Silverberg looking really dangerous. I, I think, you know, on the score sheet, yeah, he has two assists. Uh, but he had a couple of chances where he probably could have scored tonight, and he was one of the Ducks' most dangerous players without getting a goal. Yeah, and he set up he set up Ricky on both those rush plays on Ricky's first goal and the third goal. He sets up the pass, yeah. and and Ricky's able to rip it top uh, top shelf the first time and far side the third time. And then um, if you want to get to the second goal here, that was just a, a, a bang bang play in front, a good awareness by Ricard Raquel to be on the side of the net like that to be able to sweep home the rebound, but. I, this line was just on fire. The, the Edmonton Oilers had nothing, nothing to answer with, like zero answer for this line tonight. Yeah, and, and this second goal, you know, it's a great play by Corbinian Holzer just to get the puck on net. But then Sam Steele ends up getting the primary assist on this, and he ends up. I, I don't know if he redirects the pass, or I think it, it ends up getting saved by Koskinen. Yeah, and then. Steele just has a stick on the ice and redirects the, the rebound right out to Ricard Raquel, who just swats it in on the back end. So that's a smart play by Sam Steele to recognize that Ricard Raquel is in a better position to shoot the puck and just get the puck over to him 
And again, this is one where, like we've said multiple times on this podcast already, one that Costin's going to want to get uh, want back because he gets a piece of it. It hits the under part of his arm and ends up bouncing in and past him. And that's you know two goals on the night that you know he just barely got a, a piece of, and they end up going by him. But Ricard Raquel, I mean, this is when he's at the top of his game. He's scoring goals, sniping them like on the first one, or like he scored his last hat trick against the Oilers. He's just in the right spot to put the puck in the back of the net. And that's when you know when he's on his game is when he's scoring goals in different ways, but he's always just in the right position. And that's something we've always talked about with Ricardo Raquel. And positionally, he's one of the best players the Ducks have. And when he's on his game, he finds himself in those positions. And that's why he can get 30 goals in a season. Yeah, and it's like Dean in our chat said on Spreaker. He said, shooting from Ovi's office, right? That's that's We always talked about having a shooter. We're never, never, ever going to compare Raquel to Ovechkin. But that area on your off, he's on his off wing. That's where you want to be as a shooter on your off wing and get that get that quick release away. You have the most net to shoot at from that position. It's nice to see Raquel turn it on because we need it. And honestly, though, looking at the third goal coming up that Silverberg sets up, that's probably one Koskinen was back as well. No, I mean he definitely had a tough game. No, he he did for sure. And uh, again, this is a play set up by Silverberg. It's similar in the sense that where Silverberg passes the puck from and where Ricard Raquel shoots the puck from is is pretty much identical to the first goal that Raquel scored. But the placement is different. And like you uh-huh. said, this one's a, a little bit. You know, the first one you can't blame on Koskinen. No, it's a perfect no, shot no. over the shoulder. This one again, it's great placement by Ricard Raquel to put it under the glove and, and above the pad. But from that angle and from how far out he was, he shoots it from the top of the circle. Like, it's, a, again, a great placement from Raquel, but, you know, Koskin is not in the right position to make this save. And that's essentially why, in the end, it ends up beating him. And, you know, he gets pulled after this one for good reason. Yeah, uh, or this fans, Yeah, or this fans on Twitter were not, not happy with Koskin, and again, for good reason as well. Uh, but Ricardo Raquel will take that all night. I mean, you know, he took over this period, not single-handedly. Him and Silverberg really ran the show, and Hampus Lindholm to some extent as well. But, you know, it's nice to see him, as we said, get back in the mix. And, you know, yesterday, even with the way he was playing, we probably would have thought it was a long shot for him to get to 20 goals with uh, two games remaining or three games remaining as of yesterday. Now he's only got two away from getting to 20. You know, all of a sudden, Yeah, he's right there. He's right there. I mean, sitting at 18 goals, there's plenty of time for that. I don't think there's any question that um, there's a good opportunity here against the Flames and against the Kings coming up that he's able to get exact some revenge against those teams because the Ducks have lost their last two, um, each of those against the Flames and the Kings prior to tonight. So I guess it's, it's against divisional opponents. Maybe the Flames rest somebody coming up. Maybe that helps the Ducks out a little bit offensively. But uh, they got to find a way to solve the Kings, even if Raquel was to get on the board, because Raquel had the beauty of a play against the Kings last time. But uh, he had to work really hard to get one that to get that one in the net. He had to pull off some McDavid shit right there to get one in the back. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, it's possible now for uh, for him to hit twenty. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, that's the th- that's <clears throat> the, the big thing is that we didn't think it would be possible for him to get that. Um, you know six games ago it was it was out of the question and now you know, he's got seven goals in his last five games and and all of a sudden he goes from having 11 goals to 18 and being close to hitting 20 and you know it'd be a nice little consolation prize for him and for ducks fans for him to get to that milestone and and be a consistent 20 goal scorer and and kind of rebound from the the tough season that he's had this year but you know, the ducks would end up finishing the second period up four to nothing shots were 22 to 16 in favor of the ducks 
and they got off to a quick start in the third period as well. And you know, Sam Carrick, uh, I believe, is what the broadcast said, gets his first point as a duck. He ends up winning the faceoff back to Devin Shore, who just wires a shot. Who, dude, just now, no chance. Yeah, past now who uh, Anthony Stolars is in that. And he's a big kid. And to, to end up beating him with a shot from that close, you know, quick release too, no screen really. But he just snipes the top right corner with that shot. I mean, that it's tough to pick that shot or Ricardo Raquel as a better snipe, but I would have to give it to Devin Shore. Like, that was a, just a whip of a shot, and Solars had no chance. And it's tough to beat any goalie, high glove side, but a guy who's 6'6", like Anthony Stolars, that's a really difficult shot to make. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's just it's the quick release right off the faceoff that beat him. It was perfect yeah. placement by Devin Shore, and that's that's what gets the job done there. I don't think there was much Stolars could do at that point, and the game was out of reach also at that point in the third period. But, uh, yeah, nothing you can do there. Devin Shore, by the way, man, quite the upgrade over uh, Andrew Cogliano. I hate to say it. I know people love Andrew. They love Cogs. They love Cogs for dogs. But uh, Devin Shore, um, I think he's looked really good here in the Anaheim uniform. Yeah, I, I haven't. I, I think when we talked about the trade, we we said we were fine with it, and you know, realistically, that trade will benefit the Ducks in the future as well because Devin Shore will be a better player for a longer period of time because he's a younger player. Yeah, and uh, I think he'll. You know, he's been a good player since coming over to Anaheim. You know, he's been really good defensively, and he's contributed on offense on occasions like he did tonight. And and I think he's a valuable player and a valuable piece of this team going forward because you always need players like this. You know, we talked about. Somebody asked us a question on the last podcast about Carter Rowney and if it would be worth keeping him around. And I, and I think it is. To, you, know, you need to have those players in the lineup, guys who can contribute most of their, their plays on the defensive side of the game. But then every now and then they can chip in an offense. And I think both Carter Rowney and Devin Shore have done that enough that they deserve to be in the bottom six of this team. I mean, you don't want six of those guys. But to have you know two or three of those guys, I think, is important, especially if you're you're going to make a long run. You need those guys. You can throw out in important situations, that can also chip on chip in on offense. So I think that was uh, important for Devin Shore, and I think he's going to be a valuable member of this team. But to finish off quickly with the third period, Oilers do get on the board. Unfortunately. Oh yeah, thanks they, Hampus uh, for screening John yeah. Gibson on this one. <laughs> they end up breaking the shutout. Luchitz feeds Sam Gagne in uh, in the slot, and Gagne wires it past John Gibson. Ends up being 5-1 at that point. Uh, Gibson does rebound with three straight saves on Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Probably his best sequence of the game. He, he wasn't really worked too hard in this one, you know, other than the Gagne goal and those stops and then Drysdale hitting the, the crossbar. That was really the, the summation of the Oilers' chances in this game. Yeah, and, and uh, what are you going to do about that one if you're Gibby? And, and Hampus just got kind of... In the way of John Gibson there with the screen in front, and it just, that's it. Sometimes that happens, and that was the only goal the others were able to get on Gibson tonight, so not a bad night for Gibby. Yeah, and, and you know, the game ends with Chase DeLeo getting a really good chance to get his first goal as, a, as a Anaheim Duck in his first game for the Ducks tonight. Uh, fourth California native to ever play for the Ducks. Uh, they listed them, the only one I remember, or the only two I remember of the three is Emerson Needham and Nick Cordillis. Yeah. And there was another another person they listed, but I think it was from significantly earlier than than i remember i'm sure somebody in chat will remind me what they what they had but nice for him to get in this game and he looked pretty good so did sam carrick and would have been nice for him to get that but uh, he ends up getting going in a little bit too close and it when once you get in as close as he did it's tough to beat a goaltender who's six six uh short side when you're within a couple feet of them so it was a, a nice effort from him in a, in a solid game just you know disappointing that he didn't get to get on the board is it that hard? Did you see Jacob Markstrom uh, with the Ducks versus Canucks game? I'm not sure if you saw that game or not. 
uh, <laughs> where Sam Steele was in like the <laughs> Sam Steele game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Markstrom's a big goalie too, and he was beat pretty handy. I'm just teasing you, dude. I, I know no, he's, I he's know. a big well, goalie. Nobody beat him short side. <laughs> Sam Steele. Sam Steele's. That was a penalty shot. So that's a, that's a different situation. And it's it's Sam Steele. And he's I'm just teasing. Edmonton's just been in the dumps. It's it just been horrible. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you have to have the guys like you said, Carter Rowney, guys like Devin Shore. You can't be all icing and no cake. Just ask the Edmonton Oilers how they constructed their roster and how well they're doing. You you have to have something in the middle that isn't ultra flashy. You have to have guys that play roles, and you have to have guys that play roles but chip in. You can't just have these guys that just skate 10 minutes a night and don't do anything other than just skate around. You have to have guys that can perform. And Devin Shore is one of those guys. So I agree with you, man. It, you have to have bottom six guys like Rowney and Shore to be able to contribute. So, Yeah, it, it's important. It'll be important for the Ducks going forward because they're, they're still going to be here. At least Devin Shore and, and Carter Rowney have some still some term on their contract. So you know they're going to be a, a part of this team and you know give some time for maybe guys like Isaac Lindstrom, who you expect to be in a similar role to that, maybe a little more offensive upside to him. Uh, same goes for Benoit Olivier Grew. They're defensive forwards that the Ducks have coming up in the system that when Shore and Rowney's contracts expire could be guys that come in to fill that role. I mean, the Ducks just have an insane amount of young prospects coming up that can fill roster spots eventually, and and you know, in the bottom six and even in the top nine as well. So it's a uh, it's a good spot to be in for Anaheim. But yeah. you know, the real thing going forward and the real issue for the Ducks is getting a top pick this year to fill that top line vacancy uh, when Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry are either retire or their contracts are up with the Ducks. And unfortunately, the Ducks going 6-3-1 and one in their last 10 games has mean that they've fallen up the standings, yeah. up the reverse standings. They've fallen down the reverse standings. They've fallen up the standings or climbed up the standings, if you want to put it that way. And uh, last night, they were 6th last. Now they're 7th last after the win tonight. They've played more games than everybody. They've got 80 games, which they have, you know, a couple teams have three games in hand on them. A couple teams have two games in hand. And uh, right now, they've got 76 points. Uh, they're a point above the Oilers, who have two games in hand. Two points above Vancouver, who has a game in hand. Two points above Chicago, who has three games in hand. And then they're three points above the, the Rangers, who have three games in hand. They're four points above Buffalo, who has two games in hand. And then six points above Detroit, who have two games in hand. So what it looks like is there's probably no shot at them finishing in the bottom four anymore. Detroit would basically have to win the rest of their games, and the Ducks would have to lose against Calgary and L.A. Uh, Detroit can only get 78 points right now. So, again, yeah, Detroit has to win all their games, uh, and I must to lose. Um, the Sabres, they could still pass the Ducks. They could finish with a possible 80 points, but the Sabres have lost their last six games, and they've been the worst <laughs> worst team oh, in the NHL man. over their last 10 oh, games. Oh, uh, poor Brandon Montour. <laughs> a 1-8-1 record. Uh, over their last 10 games, which, like I said, is the worst in the National Hockey League. So there doesn't seem like the Ducks are going to be able to finish with a top-five pick. It's still a possibility if the Sabres win a few of their games. But again, the Ducks would have to likely lose against Calgary and, and L.A. Uh, the Rangers, you know, there's still a chance the Ducks could finish in sixth, which gives them an extra 1% boost from finishing in seventh. Uh, the Rangers, again, three games in hand. So there's a, a, you know, a likely chance that they could pass the Ducks by the time they get to the 80-game mark. That will be close, 
And and honestly, you know, I think the Oilers will, you know, they're already a point above the Ducks with games in hand. Same goes for Vancouver and Chicago. Even if the Ducks win their last two games, they can still only get to 80 points at this point. I can see those teams at least winning one or two of the remaining four games to move in front of Anaheim. So we're likely seeing where the Ducks finish right now in the draft standings or in the draft lottery standings yeah. is at uh, pick number seven. And that, give, that would give them a 6.5% chance at the number one overall pick and a 20.4% chance at the top three pick. So, you know, not the best odds. Not the best odds for Jack Hughes. You know, obviously the best odds would go to the Colorado Avalanche at 18 and a half. They're going to get him. That's what it is. Yeah. But no, it's not like teams haven't moved up from this position before. We, I think the Flyers moved up from even below this, and so did Dallas when they were going after Amira Heiskanen and, and uh, Nolan Patrick. I mean, that, that draft in general was ridiculous that year because three teams moved up. You had the, the New Jersey Devils who moved up to get Hisher from pretty low, and same with the uh, you know, Flyers getting Patrick and Heisken into Dallas. So there's a chance. You know, there's, we're, there's still a 6.5% chance the Ducks can get Jack Hughes, which is better than a 0% chance to get oh, Jack Of course. Hughes right there's always a puncher's chance to get what you need. But I think we're really seeing here that the Ducks are better than what they showed earlier in, under the Carlisle era. Because we had two eras this year. We had the Carlisle era and the Bob Murray era. And we're going to break that down here next weekend. We're going to do our end-of-season pod. We'll get all into the numbers, all into the players, and all that stuff. So if you guys are interested in our end-of-season recap, that's coming next weekend. But the Ducks have played significantly better. So I think what we've seen from this team is they're not nearly as bad as prior to to Bob Murray. But they're probably not as good as everyone hoped at the beginning of the season. They're a middling team. They're not quite good enough to be dangerous, but they're not quite bad enough to be so bad that they're going to be a lottery pick. Right? It's just not not where this team should be, but it's where they ended up. Yeah, and to be fair, you know, along with that point, the Ducks have been one of the best teams of the bad teams. You know, you look at the teams who are outside a playoff spot right now and in the draft lottery. The Ducks are tied with the best record with Vancouver and Chicago over the last ten games. Oh, and Montreal as well. They're all six three and one, and Detroit six four and zero. So they're they're playing better. They're playing better hockey. You know, there wasn't many times this year where the Ducks over ten a ten game stretch went six three and one. It was Matt, really Matt and Chad called it the Carlisle error rather than era. So that's what he wants to call it here. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think that's I think that's fair enough. But before we move on to a couple other post game things we want to talk about, I want to stay quickly on the draft because if the Ducks don't move up in the draft and they don't move down, let's say they they stay around six, seven, or eight. We had to start looking, stop looking at guys like Jack Hughes and Capo Caco and even Kirby Dak and Dylan Cozens and maybe look at some other guys that they could end up getting at that spot because now they're going to have to possibly settle for, you know, not the elite guys. There's still some very good players between four and ten that the Ducks can go after. Uh, but we got to start looking at some of those guys. And, you know, different uh, different draft rankings have guys diff- in different areas, so there's still a chance that Kirby Dak and and uh, Dylan Cozens could be available at seven for the Ducks, and I think that would be the best available option for them. But then you have to start looking at, at different guys, uh, specifically in the U.S. National Development Team system, because there is probably about ten of them that are going to go in the first round, which is ridiculous. They're the same team that Jack Hughes plays for, but there's Trevor Zegras, who we've mentioned before, who's also a center, likely going to be going to the NCAA, which is. Uh, if you're looking to rebuild sort of fast, that's maybe not the best route you want to go. Yeah, but you're kind of on the on the on the uh, the trail of uh, Kirby Doc. That's kind of been your guy, right? You kind of feel like the Ducks are going to slot in that area anyway. Uh, they're yeah. not going to get a top five pick, but Kirby Doc's a big center. He's already almost 200 pounds. He's six three. 
Um, I know that he plays a solid game. He's got uh, what they say is like the complete package, right? He's not. He's not. Yeah, he's been being dynamic in any one left. dimension. He's he's well. Uh, he's he's probably the best passer in the draft. Okay. He, yeah. So you know he's he's probably the most consistent and best playmaker in the draft. The, the question mark and, and the thing I, I that still bothers me a bit with him is question mark around speed, and that's always a, a worrying sign for me. You know, a guy is an elite elite playmaker, pretty good goal scorer. Offensive instincts are off the charts, but speed is a tough thing. And then you look at he's six four, and it's like, is that going to be a problem for this guy? And uh, you never know, right? You know. But then I look at a guy like Dylan Cozens, six three, similar size to Kirby Doc, but better goal scorer, not as great a playmaker, but still can pass the puck. But he's got speed, and you know, I, I'm, I'm leaning a little bit more towards him right now if he's available at that point. You know, he, I, I generally you look at the direction the Ducks are going in, and they're going to be a fast team, and they're building around a lot of fast players, and I, and I think you got to complement that and bring in a guy who can skate, and whether that's uh, Dylan Cozens or Trevor Zegras or Alex Turcotte, those are all fast players, and they all play center, and uh, I, I think that's a good option. But Kirby Dak is likely going to be a good NHL player. You just have to determine which which direction you want to go in with the, if you're the Ducks. But it's not really a bad decision to have. I mean, you got four very good centers out there after Jack Hughes that you, you hope that are going to be available at number seven. And I would assume at least one of those four guys is available there. I, really I imagine have, they get Kirby Doc. Honestly, I, I really feel like that's going to be the, the player they end up with in the draft. I, I just, you would have to think that one. Like the, the only way that none of those guys are available is that obviously Jack Hughes and Cabo Cack will go one, two, and then there's a run on centers and those four guys go right after I mean, Look, that. everyone takes centers. They all every every team. But there's wants gonna it. be there's gonna be some teams that need a defenseman in that top part. So you're talking like Byram, maybe Byram's yeah, a Bowen pick. Byram, Victor Soderstrom, uh, maybe Anthony Honka, or or some of some of those guys, the top defensemen in this draft. That there's not too many elite defensemen. I would argue really the only two great defensemen in this draft are Soderstrom and, and Byram, specifically Byram. There will be a team that really needs a defenseman. And they will. They, there's a chance that Byram could go three or four, depending on who finishes there. Like you look at the teams that are up there right now. Uh, I think you know New Jersey will take whoever, Detroit will take whoever, LA will take whoever. Same with Buffalo. But you know if, if a team like Edmonton ends up moving a little bit higher, they will take Byram. I would t- if I was them. I mean if I was the Oilers, I know they need wingers, but you know I would take Bowen Byram if I had a chance. You need number one D. You you need a guy that can develop into that. You need a guy who's so also, he's also yeah he's also a guy they can watch easily. He plays in the WHL. I'm sure their scouts have seen a lot of him this year. So, that, you know, that's the way I'd go. But the Ducks need a center. And luckily for them, there's four or five of them in the top. Yeah, if they don't get Hughes, they're going to want Cousins. If they don't get Cousins, they're going to want Zagres. If they don't get Zagres, then they're going to want a guy that's, um, like we just talked about, Kirby Doc. They're going to want a big center. And Dylan Cousins is, is a guy who is a big center in his own right. He's 6'3". He's not not as heavy as uh, as Doc, but uh, he's, he's higher rated. And uh, he's also a right-hand shot, too. So I think that kind of fits the Gutsloff mold, no? Yeah, no, for sure. And, and you know, quickly, b- before we finish on this draft, thing, looking at the second pick the Ducks have in the first round, there's still there's a lot of options they can go from there because after the run on centers happens, in the bottom half of this draft, that's where the wingers and the, and the defensemen start coming out. And if you're the Ducks, you could, you know, I, I think at that point you'd start going best player available because, you know, they could use another winger for sure, but they could use a defenseman as well. And we've been talking a lot about American players. There's a lot of good American players in this draft this year. 
uh, and three guys the Ducks could look at. If they're going defenseman, I think Cam York, out uh, of the national development team system, is a, is a great player they could go after. They need an offensive defenseman, and, and he's one of the better ones in, at this part of the draft. Uh, left-handed defenseman, so maybe not the best option for them. You know, Maybe they wait and they, they try and go for a righty. I would go for a righty. I don't think they need to bring in another lefty at this point. Um, and if you want to go forwards, I mean, you look at the, the guy who's been playing on Jack Hughes' wing the entire season for the U.S. national development team, and that's Cole Caulfield. I mean, he I think he broke, uh, I believe it was Kessel's record for goal scoring in, in a season for the, the NDTD, NTDP. So he's a great guy. He can come out a little undersized, which is, is always an issue, but, you know, we've seen guys who are small, I, I, a la Johnny Goodrow and Alex Dabrinkit come in. And it doesn't matter. They put up they put up numbers. And Alex Dabrinka scored his 41st goal of the season this year. So, you know, Cole Caulfield could be a guy they go for. And then uh, Arthur Kelly, I believe it or not, that name, he's an American player. He uh, is playing in the OHL with Hamilton. He could be a guy who, who's also a winger, and he put up over 50 goals. What about a guy like draft. Matthew Boldy from NTDP also? Right? He's he's also a highly regarded winger, no? Coming yeah, out of yeah, America I, as well. I would, I would assume he probably goes in the top 10. And he, he, you know, other than Kako and Pold Colson, is probably the the next highest winger, or, or only got a specifically a winger taken. Uh, but he, you know, he he is probably other than Kako. You could argue he's up there with Pold Colson as being one of the best wingers, and he has speed for days. And and teams will be going after him and, and looking to draft him. And he's I mean, not tiny; he, he's over six feet tall. So Boldy's yeah, probably exactly going to be on the radar for a lot of people for an NHL player exactly why i think he's hot, more highly rated than a guy like cole caulfield because he's got the size and the speed you don't have to worry about you know him being under five under six feet tall or under 511 even because i think caulfield's like five seven or five eight so so boldy will likely be gone but if there was any chance that the ducks if boldy was anywhere close like if he was falling to 14 or 15 if you're the ducks you're, you better trade up to that pick to go and get him and, and bring him into the system. I, I don't think it happens, but yeah, he he would be a, a dream option down at that spot. But even oh, yeah. any of the guys I mentioned in, in Caulfield or Kaliev down at that spot too, they're they are great goal scorers, and, and the Ducks could really use uh, a guy who's a, a, a you know goal scorer first and bring them into the roster because I think that's one thing they're missing. Now I'd argue Max Comtois is is so, something about that, but he's more he's a power forward who scores goals. But if you're looking for a guy who specifically you have him in there to score goals, Caulfield and Kaliev are those guys. They just score goals, and that's all they do. And I think the Ducks could really use a winger like that in their system that could move into their top nine eventually. You know what's beautiful is uh, I think it's great that we could talk about prospects or talk about draft guys like this. And hopefully our Forever Mighty fans are, are curious about these players and are staying tuned for this because it's good information talking about you know guys that are going to be we're actually at a point which we hadn't been in as a franchise in over half a decade, even further than that, really, where we've been so bad that we have a chance at upper echelon players. It's, yeah. it's so important to see these guys go. And it's even more heartwarming to me to see so many <laughs> national UN, or United States national development players in the top 20. It's just, it yeah. warms my heart. Screw everybody who put Kako in front of Hughes, by the way, recently. They're, they're all going off his performance yeah, against the junior, in the world juniors. It's like, put him up above. Plus uh, that, and that Come on. Hughes has been consistently good all year. And, like, Kako is just slowly getting better. But even with Kako getting slowly better, it's like, Hughes has been this good. And Kako has just slowly been climbing the ladder. And even with him getting better, he's still, like, just below where Hughes has been all year. So yeah, recency it, bias. 
It's recency bias, yeah. But you know, on the same point of the Americans, like, you know, screw the rivalry between Canada and the U.S. Ah. I'm, I'm, I am really excited to see a lot of these national development team players coming up and and you know, equaling the rivalry. It's becoming a really good program. It always has been. But you look at some of the guys coming out of it. You look at Austin Matthews and Matthew Matthew Kachuk and Max Jones with the Ducks now, and and now Jack Hughes and and all of pretty much the entire roster that he's playing with. Oh, a lot yeah. of them going in the first round. A lot of them going in the top twenty, like you said, and. No, and then probably the rest of them are going somewhere in the first three rounds where you're going to see about, you know, anywhere from seven to ten of the players on well, that team. And you got three in the top ten, right? I mean, you have you have Hughes, you have Zegras, you have Turcotte. Those are all from the U.S. National Development Team. Those are all probably top ten guys. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, you, you have to assume Hughes is going to go number one, and then Zegras, Turcotte, and Boldy could all go in the top ten, and that's four of them in the top ten right there. So that that's extremely impressive to have that. I mean, you think of the fact that these guys all play on the same team. You know, rarely do you see, you know, the, the, the last time I remember two guys on the same team going really high was McKinnon and Drouin, and that was two guys. This is four guys. Oh, those highlights team. of those two guys together were sick. Before they got to the NHL, it was, just, it was unfair. It was like men amongst boys. <laughs> well, they won the Memorial Cup. I mean, it, it was obvious. Um, before we wrap this up, Frank had a question. He said, could you guys see the Anaheim Ducks possibly trading up and making a blockbuster, blockbuster deal for the number one pick? Uh, I don't know at this I, point. Bobby likes his players. Anybody, I don't think anybody trades it. You know, like I, I had, I had, I'm on the record of saying if Colorado doesn't get one or two, that they might trade the pick and try and get something to help their team next year. They're, they're a playoff team. They, they need guys to help them now and they specifically need you know either another winger or a defenseman if you're not going to get it huge you're not going to get Kako trade that pick and try and get something else as for number one I can't see Colorado passing on Hughes I can't see LA New Jersey Detroit Buffalo Rangers anybody I can't I can't see anybody passing on Hughes or Kako if they have Kako as their number one that you just you can't do it at this point unless the deal is so unbelievably good that you just it has to be insane you're not looking at like your first, like if you're the Ducks, you're not looking at the seventh and the twentieth pick to get to number one. You're looking at you know considerable prospects added to that. Probably a guy like you know even like Sam Steele or Max Jones or Maxim Comtois added to that, plus more, like plus a roster player. Like that's that's what it takes. To you're get talking a generational talent is what is being projected for the top two picks right potentially. now. Potentially, yeah. potentially, but you're also paying for the hype at yeah. that point. Yeah. You're assuming all risk of that. You're paying for the hype. You you basically almost pay for what this player could be. You don't pay what you know for for any of the risk when you go and and try and get a pick like that. So it it's a it's a tough spot to be in and make that pick. I don't think anybody trades it. Like I said, I think the only team that could eventually trade a pick it would be Colorado if uh, if they fell outside the top two. All of these other teams desperately need to draft at that position. Like you know, this is the first year, and this is before the draft lottery, of course. So. You know, if a team moved up into that spot, but you know, any of these teams, honestly, except maybe Philadelphia, and I would, I would still assume they would draft Kako or Hughes. Anyway. Oh, of course, they have uh, to. Like, I mean, they're of, they're yeah. dying on defense. Their their goaltending will be all right with Carter Hart as long as they don't play Brian Elliott anymore. Um, going after this year, and then I don't, I can't see Philly trading away. No one's going to trade away Hughes or Kako. And they're, they're likely not. They have a one and a half percent chance of getting it right now. So yeah. they're likely not going to get it. But it's just like it, it's an interesting spot in the NHL this year where most of the teams who miss the playoffs are generally bad teams. Like they're not they're teams that could desperately use a player of that caliber. And of course, anybody could use a player of Jack Hughes or Kako Kako's quality. But yeah, we've seen drafts. <laughs> yeah, we've seen drafts in the past where, where, you know, teams were actually good 
miss out in the playoffs because there were too many good teams. We've seen it before where, you know, there was the five or six good teams in a division and that, you know, so somebody has to miss out because only so many players could make it, right? So only so many teams could make it. You know, three from each division have to go in. We've seen the Central for a while where they had six good teams and a couple of teams had to miss out. You know, Dallas missed out and they were a really good team. They ended up getting Heisken in because they moved up in the draft. But Yeah, you know, my, my year, last input on, on the draft situation tonight as we look at it right here, the Ducks, you said 6.5%. Yeah, six and a half percent yeah, if, if they set the seven pick. If they somehow get Jack Hughes, they're gonna have to trade somebody off the roster to make room. Like that's they have they have too yeah. many players that are ready to fill roles. They have too many veterans that are currently sitting in roles. They would have to be a roster shakeup more than what Bob Murray was even talking about his uh, at his at Bobby's pancake bonanza that I went to. But it's uh, not a bad situation to be in. No, not at all. It's yeah, an embarrassment it's, of riches at that point. Old, man So you know, it, I'm going to be so stressed doing a live stream for that <laughs> draft lottery. You know, like, it, 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 it's the worst because, like, you know, for the playoff, for playoff games, you get stressed, but you're stressed for the entire game. And then, like, you, you, you generally know, unless it's an overtime game winner, you generally know what the outcome of the game kind of already is. So you have time to wind down sure. and kind of get down that stress. The draft lottery is going to be uh, horrible because you're going to be stressed for, like, five minutes up until – the, the pick gets revealed for the Ducks. Yeah. And then if it if it uh, if it just shows them at seven, right away you just instant disappointment. There's no there's no buffer zone. It goes from from hype to instant disappointment. And True. and the worst thing about the draft lottery now is they've stretched it out into this whole spectacle where they do like the top team I think teams leading up to the top two or the top three. Then they take a break and they play a period of hockey, and they come back in the second intermission to do the final thing. Oh, that's a nightmare. Like imagine, imagine the stress that if the Ducks don't show up at seven, which means they moved up, they show six, they show five, they show four, it's not the Ducks, so you know they moved to the top three. And then you have to wait an entire period of hockey <laughs> before you find out if they if they moved up into to one, two, or three, and then only to find out that they they fell at three and <laughs> not at uh, It's at the drama. It's all the drama. Hey man, how about the ultimate uh, nightmare? But it'd be, it's still fun. I'm looking forward to that day. It's in a little uh, a little less than two weeks. We're talking about a week from this upcoming Tuesday, so that'll be a good time. Um, so hey man, a thing happened today with our podcast that hasn't happened ever, which is uh, we had a hat created today. Yeah, we well, we I mean we created it we created it for somebody, mm-hmm. uh, Justin, who is participating in the Ducks uh, NHL gaming tournament today. Uh, he was in the finals and uh, he asked if uh, we could send him a hat so he could wear it during the stream and, and wear it at the event and you know it was great for us he's a listener of the show so we, we we got that done for him and then you decided to tweet out a picture of the hat yeah. which turned out to be a, a pretty good thing because everybody uh everybody seemed to really like it if you haven't seen it just go over to our twitter at forever mighty fm or go to our instagram at forever mighty pod and uh, we have a picture uh, of the hat uh, and uh, it was looking pretty sweet i mean we've gotten a hat done before because, uh, as you know, my, my girlfriend got uh, the hat my hat done at Lids before and had the logo done for that. But we didn't release a picture of it. I, or I think I did maybe on my personal Instagram, and that was it. Mm-hmm. We didn't really gouge the interest of it. <laughs> and we put it out today. Apparently, everybody wants the hat. Yeah, it's it's a nice-looking snapback. I had it done uh, today. I went and picked it up. Uh, people have been asking, like, how do we get the hat? I know that was one of the questions in Twitter today. Is like, how do you get? The, how do we get the hat? Where can we pre-order? How can we do it? Um, details will be coming out about that pretty soon. The thing about hats is they're pretty pricey if you get them made in small quantities. So we have to figure out the sweet spot for that. 
Um, maybe we take a pre-order and we get the money there to put towards the hats that we, we shell in some of our cash to complete the order that way and figure it out. Um, maybe we give it away. Maybe we, we have to figure this out. We have to figure out how we're going to do it. But uh, the whole problem behind hats is, like I said, it's like you go and buy a, you know, a new era hat like this. It's going to cost you 40 bucks at the team store or $35 at lids or whatever you want to do. They're not, they're not cheap. So we want to make it reasonable for everybody to get one. We don't want you to feel like you're sticking out an arm and a leg to get a hat with our logo on it. We want to get that sweet spot in the price. So we're going to figure out the best way to do it. And that, that'll be coming around sooner rather than later because, holy hell, summer's here. The sun's out all the time. It was almost 90 degrees in my house all day today. So a hat is nice to have. So we definitely want to get those out to you guys sooner rather than later. But like I said, I, I kind of want to get the sweet spot with these where it's it's going to be a reasonable cost and it's going to be easy for people to get. So once we figure that out, that should be here in the next week or so. We'll figure out how the best way to do that. Yeah, I popped it up on the stream for, for anybody who wants to see it. I'm obviously, if you're listening to this after the fact on Spreaker, like I said, just check it out on our Twitter. Go to YouTube and, and check out the show if you haven't checked it on YouTube anyway. But, yeah, I mean, it was great. And, and honestly, I was surprised at, uh, one, how easy it was for them to get the embroidery logo when I first got it done and how nice it turned out. Oh, it was super nice, man. Super you nice. Know, the, the, the colors are, are fairly close to what the what they actually are. They stand out on the hat and... No, there was always a worry. I mean, and the, the ended up the size of it was perfect because the issue we've had in the past looking up hats is every website we go to, they wanted to make the logo too small on the hat where it was like ridiculously small and it was about half the size of the picture oh, yeah. that you can see here. So, yeah. So, I mean, it, it turned out great and uh, turns out the lids that you, you're from has a lot more of a selection for hats than, than the lids that I went to where you can get snapbacks, you can get different colors. They literally fitted. told me, go to the back wall, pick out a blank hat, we'll print it out whatever you want, we'll embroider it. It's stitched. It's a nice logo. Um, it came out great and we can't wait to release them. But uh, it's going to have to be at a point where we can get it cost effective for everybody because I don't want people having to spend 40 bucks on a hat. I think it's got to be a little more reasonable than that. So, we got to yeah, look at we're what we're going to get. We're not looking to make money off the first run of hats either. No, like we just no, want to no. get. You know, there's a lot of people who want the hats. So you know, for the first few runs of the hats, we're looking to essentially just break even to get you guys the hats because uh, right now, you know, we're just happy that people like them. Yeah, <laughs> that, for honestly, sure, that's man. how it is. Like yeah. the fact that just people like the hats, we just want to get people the hats because you know, it, again, we're not really looking to make money off of it. It just if you want the hat. It's not going to cost you too much to get the hats. It's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. We're not trying to make profit off the hats. We're just trying to get out to the people who actually want them. Yeah, so let's just say this then. If you're listening to the show and you're serious about buying a hat, DM us. Send us a direct message. We'll work out something where we can get pricing to you first. Um, what I've been told from multiple people, multiple sources who make the hats, we've been hit up. I've been hit up a couple of times. Uh, 12 is the magic number to get the first price break. So if you guys are interested, DM us on Twitter or DM us on Instagram or Facebook, whatever you want. We'll get all your information down on um, not payment information, just people, you know, first, last name, how we can get a hold of you. And we'll, we'll, start, a, we'll, yeah. we'll start a pre-order list. And then we'll reach out to you guys first. We'll be figure out the pricing and we'll go from there. But if you want a hat, DM us. We'll figure it out. So we want to get, we want to make this happen sooner rather than later. Now let us sit on the back burner until next season. So this is something we really want to do. But thank you guys exactly. all for the support. It was amazing to see everyone ask for one. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. That's, that's so cool. So, uh, yeah, man. We got other stuff along the way, uh, coming along the way as well. Uh, Eddie and I have a bonus show we're doing tomorrow, Q&A. So if you're interested in sending us a question and answer session, send us some of your questions for us to answer. It's for our Patreon bonus show. 
Um, you can check us out on Patreon as well. You can join our, our Patreon. We're going to try to continue as much as we possibly can this summer with bonus shows for people that are paying us. Uh, we want to contribute back to you guys as much as, as much as we can. So tomorrow is our question and answer show. Send us over some questions if you want to uh, have them answered. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be hockey related. It doesn't have to be ducks related. You can make them funny. Whatever you want to do. We like to have fun with that. So send, send questions our way through uh, social media. We'll get to you guys for sure. But uh, I think that's it, man. Do you have anything else you want to touch on? Oh, well, speaking of questions, we just have a couple fan questions we got to hit, hit up before ah, we finish the show. Oh, we got to do that. Just a, just a few. Uh, Ricky on Instagram said, are the Ducks hurting the gulls with all the call-ups? We, we yes. talked about this a bit, but yes. yeah, clearly. They are. Uh, not just with the call-ups <laughs> they've already made, but just with the guys who've stuck around. I mean, now Terry's injured. We talked about on the last podcast that he might be out for, you know, apparently he left in crutches and a walking boot is what a tweet that I saw earlier today that I missed last night. That's not a good sign. No, uh, and it's it, you know not Jones good. is Jones is still up and he'll be down for the playoffs. But it, it's clearly hurting them right now, um, not having arguably five or six of their best players who are up in the, in the NHL right now. And you know I would assume Sam Carrick and um, and uh, Chase DeLeo are back down there soon. But you know you would assume the next two games at least that Max Jones and uh, Troy Terry being injured, and Sam Steele are likely to stick around, same with Jakob Larson, due to the fact that the Ducks have a, a ton of injuries as well. So it, it, it definitely is hurting their chances right now. That's not good. And like we already said, they lost tonight. They're not guaranteed a playoff spot right now, so just send the boys back. I, I get that this is like NHL experience going to help them. Two games left. It's not really worth risking injury against division rivals here. Send the boys home. Let the goals get the playoffs. Let them have that little fun down in San Diego because that's a big deal to that team and you got to remain competitive everywhere right you can't just stock your team up here I went to look for tickets by the way and I don't know if it was just what I was looking on I was on StubHub looked on uh, on SeatGeek not a lot of available tickets in San Diego they're selling a ton of tickets down there not surprised yeah they're killing they're gonna make the playoffs and and they're they're gonna be a good team and and you look at you know we've talked about outside players coming in before but you know here Maxim Comtois his team moved into the second round of the QMJHL playoffs and Isaac Lindström and his team in the Swedish Hockey League moved on to the next round of their playoffs as well so no signs of them coming over anytime soon because they, they both have seven game series that they now have to play and are, are both on, on very good teams that are likely going to make long runs in the playoffs. So no signs of them coming over anytime soon. And, and Antoine Miranda and Benoit Olivier grew. Uh, Halifax is hosting the Memorial Cup. So they will not be there no matter what for the playoffs for the goals because they are going to, even if their team loses in the next round, they are going to the Memorial Cup. So they have to be available for, for Halifax to do that. Uh, the next question was from Canadian Girl on Instagram. And uh, she said, Getzlaff has said he would move his contract if Murray asked him to. Do you think he's back next season? Oh, he's 100% back. He's not going anywhere. I, I can't imagine. I don't remember that being said. I, I'm, I'm sure it was if she's saying that. I just don't remember reading that. I'm kind of shocked that he even said that, if that's the case. But uh, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think Getzlaff and Fam is here to stay. Yeah, he's not going anywhere, especially for next season. Uh, it wouldn't make sense, and I don't think it's plausible for, for him to be moved at this point. Uh, again, maybe, just like you said, if they get Jack Hughes and they have to make a move and you get an offer for Getzlaff, maybe that's the only way 
it ends up happening. Uh, but I, I, I highly doubt it. I, I, I'm not going to say it's impossible because nothing is impossible. And, and, you know, there would be interest in Ryan Getzlaff. Uh, but it's as close to impossible as you can get to say that he would be moved out uh, for next season, especially, you know, how important he was to this team this year. You know, the, the stat that they're mentioning on, on the broadcast about Connor McDavid being involved in 51.8% of the, the Oilers' goals this year. Um, they did mention Ryan Getzlaff, and he, he's leading the Ducks. He's only at about 25%, but he is contributing the most to the Ducks' offense when he is in, in the lineup. So he's still a valuable piece of this team, and and I, I can't see him going anywhere. So maybe a, a little thing here that we kind of skipped over, and I've just kind of been naive to the fact that the Ducks have been using emergency call-ups. Josh Nash points out in speaker chat, do we, have any, do we even have enough roster players? To send the kids home that's a problem no you yeah you have to play the kids for the last two games. you have to yeah it's once the season's to. over you can send them down i told him that was way over my head i didn't even think about that that's that's my own dumb fault for not even thinking about that well, i mean yeah. you look at the guys who are, who are out right now i mean you got yeah. kessler out richie's out ghoulie's out you know uh terry's out now so and i know there's got manson's out manson's so, out manson. so it's the list is, is too high for you know they're bringing up carrick and delio to play because they have too many injuries right so yeah. was scratched but uh, so you know he's not. It's not like he's not healthy. But uh, bummer yeah. for the goals. They have to wait another six days to get all their players back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a bummer. Uh, however many games that is for them, it's it's too long because they they want as many guys as they can. Yeah, I think their be. season ends April thirteenth or fourteenth, if I remember correctly. So they only have a week longer after the NHL season is over. Yeah, exactly. And the, and the last question we have is from our YouTube chat from Frank. He said he attended the hot stove with uh, Ducks GM like you did with, with Bob Murray. Uh, and he said, do you have a feeling that a BM GM has a trade or two in verbal agreement but is awaiting for the offseason to make the announcement? I mean, it kind of felt like he had moves up his sleeve for sure. And then he talked big about collegiate free agents coming to Anaheim as it was a, now a place for them to go, whereas prior seasons it wasn't. Uh, just because there was so much talent and money here, and now it's kind of like flipping from the old to the young. Um, yeah. But I feel like he has moves in mind for sure. I- I'm not really sure if he has anything that's going to be of significance already ready, because I think a lot of teams are gearing up for playoffs, not really sure where they're going to be sitting, and then also the draft lottery coming up. I'd be shocked if he had moves ready in the hopper. I think more or less he's talking with teams, and he knows who he wants to trade with, but I I, I think he's going to make changes for sure because he said he was going to, but I'm not I'm not too certain he knows exactly what they're going to turn out to be. Yeah, I think I don't think he has trades in place with teams. I'm I'm sure he has players in mind, and maybe more so he's talking about plans for free agency because that's set in stone. You know who's going to be available for that, or generally know who's going to be available for that. And then I think more so to the point you mentioned, I, I think he, there's some college players he's planning on or was planning on focusing on. A lot of them have already signed with teams. Uh, the college free agents have already moved on and, and signed with a bunch of different teams. So he's missing out on a lot of them. And uh, the Frozen Four is, is coming up soon, I believe. And I don't think it, it, it finishes too much after March Madness finishes. So that has to be coming up soon. And, you know, you have to obviously wait till those players are done their career. So maybe he's focusing on some teams that are still alive in the playoffs for the NCAA. So that could be a possibility. And then Europe is a, is a question as well. You know, there's a lot of teams that are uh, a lot of players he could be focusing on in Europe. And um, the Finnish defenseman, I believe his name was, was Kasky. I, I tweeted about it. I can't even remember his name, but <laughs> uh, a good 
right-handed offensive Finnish defenseman playing in, in the top league in Finland. It could be an option for them. Ducks need a right-handed defenseman, and yeah, he could be a guy that they're going after. In, in that sense, that could be the type of moves that he has in the chamber waiting until the offseason and waiting until those players' seasons are done to make those types of announcements. Yeah, and right now it looks like uh, like UMass and Denver are the two teams um, that are already guaranteed for the Frozen Four. So there's like I think another couple of games left before they get to the Frozen Four, but it's coming up quick. I think this this week will decide, or maybe even start the Frozen Four. So yeah, usually it usually starts around the same time as the Final Four in March Madness, and makes and sense. Yeah, and they and they finish around the same time, but. But that's it. That's all I got for this show. So that's I all think, we got. Uh, we still hit over an hour, Eddie, because we had all that prospect talk, man. Good call. <laughs> we're already, yeah, we're already getting messages about the hats. So yeah, that's great. Hey, thank you guys so much for the for the support. And that's that's not even kidding at all. I we we can't even believe how far we've come in this last year. I wish Jason was on the show tonight with us to talk about it. But over the last year, we've had just so much support, whether it was social media. Uh, whether it was in person at our watch parties or running into you guys at random places. Um, it's just been great. It's It's been such a, a hell of a run this last 12 months through all of the, the, the shows, the Patreons, the watch parties, getting Eddie's ass out here to California. Uh, we've had a blast doing it. And I know we got two games left, so you're not getting any sort of speech out of me. But uh, just the outreach, let alone from the hat, has just been, yeah. it's just been awesome, man. I, I, I got to give I a shout-out to so much. The, guy, the guy when I was in, in the game when we went to uh, – Anaheim, San Jose. The guy who recognized me in the team store. <laughs> <laughs> so weird, yeah. man. At the Ducks game. Well, that was cool. It was, it was cool. So it, oh, it's totally the, cool, but it's weird, right? I didn't get like, his like, name. Wait, is it you? <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, I didn't get his name, but shout out to to uh, to him for recognizing for recognizing me in the team store and and uh, supporting the show. And obviously, shout out to everybody. But that was uh, like you said, people just randomly coming up to us. Everybody who came out to the watch party. Uh, it's been a great year. You know, we'll have stuff going through the summer. We're not uh, we're not disappearing completely. No, uh, we'll be obviously no. less frequent. There won't it won't be five times a, a week. But we you know the last podcast we ran over a quick summary of what we have for April and and for May, and then you know we've got other stuff planned for the summer that will lead us into next season too. For sure, and then all the patreons too. Thank you guys so much for the extra support. And you know if you can't do it financially or you just like the free show, that's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But to the patreons who uh, who pay us every month and and make those bonus shows possible. And the giveaways possible, all that stuff is great, and uh, it's just been an awesome run, man. We gotta, we'll talk more about this again too when we do our end of season recaps. We gotta get Jay on here, but uh, we love you guys. We wouldn't be here without you, and we'll talk to you guys here on Wednesday. I think it's Wednesday. Yeah, against is it Tuesday or Wednesday? Wednesday, Wednesday against Calgary. I Wednesday against Calgary. I'll be at the game, so I think Jay's actually going to be on that show. Hopefully, hopefully Jay can cover me. Otherwise, I'm coming home probably drunk. I'll be there either way. That. So it'll be me, <laughs> and then somebody else will be there. So all right, guys, have a great night. Talk to you soon. All right, see you guys.